of EU citizens and their families, cross-border commuters or healthcare professionals. Ursula von der Leyen is the president of the European Commission. We propose to introduce a temporary restriction on non-essential travel to the European Union. Why that? Because we think non-essential travel uh, should be reduced right now too in order to not to spread the virus further, be it um, within the European Union or uh, by leaving the European Union, but also uh, to avoid non-essential travels, not to have more potential strain on our healthcare system. Meanwhile, Germany has largely closed its borders with five neighbouring countries in response to the COVID-19 virus. The country now has over 4,500 confirmed cases of the virus. FSN's Ira Spitzer reports from Frankfurt. Germany will control its borders with France, Austria, Denmark, Switzerland and Luxembourg. Like Germany, those countries have also seen a rapid rise in the spread of coronavirus in the past week. Normally, there are no border controls within the European Union's 26-member Schengen area. However, Germany's interior minister said the flow of goods and commerce won't be affected and commuters will still be able to cross the borders to get to work. The country has also shut down all schools and large public gatherings, and several regions have announced further restrictions on bars, restaurants and other spaces. U.S. airlines are asking the government for more than $50 billion of support as they face travel restrictions linked to coronavirus. Some experts are warning the travel industry faces collapse without global action. FSN's Sarah Walton reports from New York. There are now travel restrictions aimed at stopping the spread of COVID-19 on nearly every continent. As a result, airlines across the world have scaled back flights and begun cutting jobs. Airlines test, for America, test, which test. represents a number of U.S. carriers, has recommended that President Trump's administration supports the industry with a $50 billion bailout. Elsewhere, measures are also being considered by the governments of Germany, France, the Netherlands and the U.K. But the Centre for Aviation is warning that without coordinated global action, most airlines in the world will be bankrupt by the end of May. I'm Sarah Walton in New York. Russia's constitutional court has approved proposed amendments to the constitution, including the one that would allow Vladimir Putin to remain in power until 2036. The package of changes will be put to the Russian public in a referendum next month. From Bureaus Worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is such a joy to be back on this uh, microphone with you right now. I have had such an adventure. And so we're going to start off the show just unpacking everything. Like, where have I been? Because it's been a couple of weeks. First off, I started off with just a plain old cold. And it was it was pretty bad because I hadn't had a cold in two years, um, at least 
not that I remember having a cold, not like this. And so it wasn't the flu. There were no body aches. There was no fever. And so I ended up just kind of crashing and burning. And then uh, a few days after that, because I had some speaking engagements, and then I ended up heading off to the White House, which was an adventure unto itself. And you saw the coverage there. I was able to go uh, not to just the Black History Month reception, but I ended up heading straight into the West Wing, an entrance I had not been in. Uh, and so I've been to the White House many, many times, but never through the West Wing entrance. So I go through the West Wing gate, and I get my security stuff checked through there, and I head into the reception area that is outside of a hallway that leads directly into the briefing room, which is adjacent to the Oval Office. So I've gotten the invitation to go to the Black History Month reception, as I have been getting for the past three years, um, you know, about a month ago, maybe, or a month before, so four or five weeks beforehand. And I'd RSVP'd yes that I would come. I didn't get a plus one, so I knew I was going by myself. And it was the week before CPAC. And then after I'd already RSVP'd, they ended up sending an update saying that it had been moved to a week later. So instead of being on Thursday evening, no, Friday evening, it was going to be on a Thursday evening, a week later, and that was during CPAC. So I'd had the opportunity to broadcast from CPAC, but I hadn't taken it up because I wasn't planning on doing what I've done in other years, which is I fly there, I go to the Black History Month reception, I fly back home, then I turn right back around a week later and fly back and go for CPAC. I wasn't planning on doing that this year. Funding wasn't there. I mean, obviously, without a syndication arm behind me for the radio portion, I just didn't think it was prudent. So then when I got the notification that it was a week later and it was during CPAC, I checked to see if I could still broadcast and the window had closed. And so what I ended up doing is just going to the reception. Instead of staying in a hotel, I stayed with my sister. And so it was really going to be like a lot of fun. Then the day before I'm supposed to go, I get an email, your Oval Office visit. I'm thinking, wow, this is a really nasty little Nigerian email scam. I was scared to click on it. I click on it and it's from the White House social office and it's legit. It's from like the name on the email is someone that I know who works at the White House. So I RSVP'd that I would go and that changed my whole entry point and what time I was supposed to be there. So I show up for that and I'm wondering who else is going to be there. Who like how did I get on this this how did it turn out to be me? It turns out that um, I was just a part of a group of people who were invited. Um, it was never really explained to me why I was chosen in amongst that group of people because it was Diamond and Silk, Paris Denard, David Harris, um, you know, Angela Stanton King, Alveda King, um, Deneen Borelli, a, a bunch of people that, you know, I met them all. I pretty much know them all or have recently, you know, they've become aware of my presence or what have you. But I just was kind of surprised to be in that space. And so we ended up doing that, then heading over to the Black History Month reception, and then I came home, and within a few days of getting back, literally by that Monday, I was actually sick that Sunday as well, by that Monday I was down again, and this time with a cold, and of course I was worried that it might be coronavirus, so I was constantly checking to see, you know, where what's the difference between the cold and coronavirus? Well, obviously, with the coronavirus and the flu, you have a fever, and with uh, coronavirus specifically, it's not so much the body aches, although you can have those. It's that you have a cough that's dry and you are unable to breathe. It makes it difficult for you to breathe. Some kind of wheezing, shortness of breath, etc. I didn't have that. I was exhausted, wiped out. And so I spent a few days in bed 
um, just eating chicken noodle soup that my husband made for me and trying to survive. And then after that, more speaking engagements, more uh, kind of meetings about some stuff that I'm hoping to tell you about. I'm hoping that I'm going to have some really cool announcements coming up. But right now I don't have anything that I can share. And then finally, oh, and I also I filled in for the Joe Messina show that Friday night when I got back from D.C., from the, the White House. And then here I am. I'm finally back on the radio with you. I'm finally upright, and I have so much more to share. So um, that's where I've been. I have missed being here, but I also have begun to realize over the course of this adventure, remember it all started last year in June, uh, end of June, with that contract termination. And remember, I was very religious about doing my show when I was at the old place. Um, I missed as rarely as possible. If I had a cough or something, I was still on the radio. I'd be coughing and, and still doing the show. And this whole process over these last few months, it hasn't. It doesn't mean that I don't still value um, honoring my commitments and doing what I promised to do. I do. But I also realized that with the podcast environment and with what I have going on, being on the coalitions for the president and also the other opportunities that I'm engaging in here locally with speaking engagements about pro-life, that I basically have to say, what is the best use of my time? Go for that. And then the show exists. It's still here. But sometimes, like this last couple of weeks, life and other things like illness just got in the way. And so I'm really glad to be back with you with more news of adventures because you might have noticed um, all across the land, there's no hand sanitizer, there's no toilet paper, and the kids are now headed back home. So I want to point you over to Life's at TV. Um, you can see the show that I did today. It should be live here in a couple minutes, maybe another hour or so. And it's all about the coronavirus and what we can do with our kids all being back home. And so that was another little kind of mini adventure that we just engaged in. Our two college-age kids are now back at home taking their classes online for the remainder of the semester. And this is because their colleges have shut down due to COVID-19. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're in this same situation, God is still in control. And your kids being home can be a huge opportunity. It could be a huge blessing to you that they're there. So, you know, pat them on the shoulder a little bit, you know, make, make their favorite dishes, kiss their cheeks. They probably don't want you, but, they, you know, kiss them anyway. And just let them know how much you appreciate them being at home because their lives have been disrupted. And if you told them, you know, a couple months ago, you're going to have to do college from home that, you know, kids nowadays would be like, yeah, that's trash. I'm not doing that because that's how they talk. They think they don't like our trash, but that's what's happened to them. So their, their lives have been upended and disrupted. Their sense of autonomy and being young adults and kind of in control of their own schedules and everything. Now it's kind of like a negotiation. They're back at home. They're kind of looking at their parents like, please don't tell me you're going to try to tell me what time to go to bed or where I can and can't go, you know, but they're at home. It's a little different from when they're at home on Christmas or spring break, because those are times when they're relaxing. Now they're here, they're doing their work. So they, you know, they're going to need me not to be like all up in their, their space trying to talk and chatter and crack jokes because they, they're working. They're trying to do their work. Um, but it's a huge opportunity. We get to model for them what it looks like when our lives are disrupted by forces outside our control and rely on God and be peaceful and not panicking and not losing our minds and show them that we have the peace that passes all understanding because we know the one who made it all and formed it all and is in control of it all. He is also working everything out for our good. So that's, that's a, a huge weight off of us if we just will let it go. And you know how it is with us. We, we carry our burdens. 
we carry and hold on to him so tightly that when we have the opportunity to let it go and say, hey, Lord, you know what, Lord, please, you know, take this burden. And then God is like, of course, give me your burdens. If you're heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. We go over. We get just a little inkling of rest and peace. And then we pick our burdens back up and run off with them. It's time to let that stuff go. Um, and if your kids are younger and you're thinking, what am I going to do with these kids? You're going to love them. Listen to, their, listen to them. Sit down and let them tell you something that you don't know. Just say, tell me something I don't know. You'll be surprised at what little kids will tell you. <laughs> oh, they will tell you something. And you'll enjoy it. You might laugh. You might, your ears might be singed. You don't know what you're going to get out of these kids. Get, get something from them that you can't get from them when you're at work and they're at school. And if you're not one of those individuals, maybe your kids are adults and they live outside the house and they're not coming home, but maybe you have a grandkid that you can kind of pick up the slack for um, their, their parent is maybe on a modified work schedule or what have you. You can sit and do the same thing with those grandkids and you don't need my advice on that. Have at it. Enjoy it. So um, I want to say hi to a couple of people who are in the chat room, um, Big Ron, Roby, Tammy. Smoke. Hey, Smoke. Bjorn. Um, Tracy. Hey, Tracy. All, all my friends are all in the chat room. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much for coming back on in and welcome back to the program. So the title of today's show is about toilet paper, obviously. <laughs> and so let's talk about that for a second. First of all, have you been surprised at how unprepared people are and how they're kind of placing all of their hopes on having enough toilet paper? And that's what I think it really is. Um, and I'm saying that not because I, I want everyone to be prepared. You guys, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you've heard me talk. I've interviewed people who are preparers, preppers. I've talked about how we should have at least the minimum is three days worth of food. If you don't have three days worth of food at home, what are you doing? Food and medication. But a week is then your next benchmark. Then after a week, you should have a month. You should, if you are at home living in America today, and you're not living in some efficiency where there's literally just no place to put it or a tiny home, then you should have a month's worth of food there. I'm talking about canned goods and rice in mylar packaging or in food safe plastic containers that are sealed and airtight. Um, and then, you know, beans. You may not love beans, but you will if there's nothing else for you to eat. And peanut butter and jelly un in op unopened packages so that you have that and you know that sell by is two years from now. So you have this will last you at least for a little while. And I'm saying that because I don't believe in God or I don't trust him. Of course not. But God calls on us to be prepared. All through the Bible, he says we are to, we're, we're supposed to act like he's coming any minute, but we're also supposed to be prepared for any eventuality. So that means you're wise. It means you're, you have wisdom because it's not just yourself. It's um, your kids, your, your spouse, it's the people that you love, having enough extra dog food on hand. If you have a pet, do you want your pet to starve, or is you, are you planning on your pet eating the same thing you're eating? If not, if your dog eats kibble, you need a couple of extra packages of kibble just to make sure you can get through 30 days. Enough toiletries, which includes toilet paper, but that shouldn't be the only thing you're buying because you can't eat toilet paper. You can't, um, you can't wash dishes with it. It doesn't disinfect. Like I don't understand the runs on the toilet paper, to be quite honest with you. Now... That's where I feel. That's, those, are, those are my observations. But why don't we go to Justin James Michael Wolfers. He's a professor of economics and public policy at the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. 
wow, his business card must weigh like four pounds. So he's also a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. And so he was out tweeting uh, a couple weeks ago. And the first tweet that he sent out was the results is that shelves are empty. Capitalism fails and we all start to have to worry about. And then he puts a little, a couple of emojis in there. In other words, run out of toilet paper. The whole mess is created by fear, but the reality of toilet paper shortages means that fear is rational. And in his tweet, he has a picture of the empty shelves. It looks like at Walmart. And I've seen this too around here locally. What people are doing is they're showing up in the morning. Like if Sam's club opens at nine, they're there at nine o'clock, they run in. And instead of just buying the toilet paper that they need, they buy more than enough so they empty the shelves out and when I asked the lady at Sam's Club the last time we were there um because we have some toilet paper so I'm not really worried about it but I, I thought oh I might just buy you know like a little nine pack well I couldn't find any at the Sam's Club and the guy who was ahead of me asked the lady and she said well uh, people are coming in and buying it right away and it's first come first serve and I said why aren't you guys putting limits on that because it doesn't make any sense to let five or six people buy up your whole stock of toilet paper she said, yeah, that's interesting. And, and also, um, they're not ordering whole truckloads of toilet paper. Sam's Club is still receiving the orders that they placed weeks ago, which are based on sales that happened months ago. And what they do is they have a load of toilet paper, that is one pallet or two pallets worth, in a truck that's an 18-wheeler, so a full 18-wheeler truck of products that are being sent it arrives on a Tuesday and every Tuesday and Thursday or every Monday, Wednesday, Friday or whatever their delivery schedule is. And it will have some toilet paper in it, not a whole truckload of it. So they're ordering extra to try to compensate for what is going on. And there is not truly a toilet paper shortage. It is that all of the toilet paper that's available is being bought up by a minority of people who are in a panic and acting irrationally. Now back to what he said. So he goes on to say, the economics of toilet paper shortages is the same as bank runs. Even if you're not freaked out about a pandemic, you worry that everyone else is and they'll stockpile toilet paper. You don't want to be left paperless, so you stockpile to, be, to avoid being shut out by others. Listen to the logic here. So you run and get toilet paper not because you need dozens of rolls, but because you fear that others are going to stockpile it and leave none for you. They're buying because they fear correctly that you're running to the store to stock up, leaving none for them. <laughs> so you run and get toilet paper, not because you think society's about to crumble, but because you fear that others fear this. Fear of a run on toilet paper, like a run on banks, is enough to create an actual run. And when the runs start, we need help, pun intended. <laughs> okay, so he's probably a good professor because he has a sense of humor. So the result is that shelves are empty, capitalism fails, and we all start to worry about running out. And he says, the problem is we have two equilibria, word of the day. Normal times, everyone believes there will be toilet paper, so no one stockpiles. Now, that's not exactly true because I have some here. That's why I'm not freaking out because we already have some toilet paper here that is our backup supply for just in case something happens. Now, do we have enough to last us for Six months, not even close. We just have some. Because in my mind, I assume I will be able to get more. So the sum that we have is to take us through a period of time such as what we are in right now. It is not permanent. It is just some. 
Panic times, he says, number two, panic times. Everyone fears shortages, which leads them to stockpile, which creates shortages. That's happening now. So this guy tweets Justin Wolfers, the professor, with an image of his toilet paper stash at the local Costco on a Sunday afternoon. And it shows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven packages of toilet paper priced at twenty two ninety nine. And they're the big ones that you buy at Sam's Club. So it's the Sam's Club and Costco size. So, you know, 24 rolls. So then he goes on to say, here's how we solve the self-fulfilling panics that cause bank runs. The FDIC insures your money. So even if everyone else is running to the bank, you don't have to try to beat them. Lender of last resort. The Fed lends to banks facing these runs so they can keep operating. All of this says that what we need right now is a government-backed strategic toilet paper reserve. That reserve makes us a promise that even if your local Costco ran out, you still have the right to buy two rolls per week from the government's stockpile. The strategic toilet paper reserve removes the incentive to stockpile and ensures that even if you see others running to the store to stockpile toilet paper, you no longer need to run to try to beat them. You can relax knowing that you'll still be able to wipe your bum. So the economics of a bank run is really the same as the economics of toilet paper shortages. Both point to problems with unfettered markets and both have problems that can be solved with clever government regulation. The only difference is what's on the paper. So obviously, when you see the shelves empty at a store, you know that the next truck will mean that the store will be restocked. The problem is people are just being totally ridiculous. I saw a fight online on Twitter of three individuals who look as if they've just recently immigrated here and have definitely had access to plenty of food fighting each other over one of them taking all of the remaining toilet paper off the shelves and loading it up into her cart so that she could purchase it. One of the people wanted to just take one package of toilet paper off of her cart because there was no more left in the store, and she said she was out of toilet paper. And that's when the fight started. That is what is happening. I've also seen videos of people, they can't get to the checkout line because the carts of abandoned food with butter and perishables in there, milk, you name it, are the people just walk up to the front. I guess they realize the line is too long, and they abandon the cart. And so they don't even have enough people working in the store to restock the shelves. So that stuff in the cart that whatever is perishable is going to go bad, which means wasted food. That's what's happening. Um, and I just want to point out, this is coronavirus, a virus that admittedly it's serious. I'm taking it seriously. It's not a hoax. President Trump never said it was a hoax. It is something important for us to be cognizant of, but it is also, hello, actually being well-managed. I know that CNN thinks the president's doing a horrible job, but what's new about that? They hate him. They actually live off of that hatred. They eat it. They sleep it. They drink it. They breathe it. It is their sustenance. But for the rest of us who don't have a rabid case of Trump derangement syndrome and we're just living our lives, you know, for Jesus, we're fine. What he's doing is working out well. His gathering together of a bunch of industry leaders and business leaders who can help with the problem from the private sector, fantastic. The fact that we now can acknowledge that bureaucracy and the CDC are part and parcel to our slow ramp up into taking care of the issue. 
Who who hasn't been saying that that's a conservative for the longest time? Who has not been saying that 24 million government employees with very little oversight and no accountability to uh, taxpayers who fund their salaries is a horrible way to run the government? Who hasn't been saying that? I mean, come on. I mean, even people who just started a podcast two weeks ago have been saying that, okay? So it's interesting because we see how people are behaving, and we were told, we've been told, when things become dire, people who have not prepared lose their minds. They run out. They fill their carts up with whatever they think they might need. They take it home, like people buying masses and masses and masses of eggs. But what are you going to do? Eggs only last about 30 days. Unless you're planning on freezing them and not in the shell, you have to Google it for yourself to figure out how you can do that. Then what are you doing? Why are Again, if you've not taken the time to read a couple of prepper books and, um, you know, in fact, that's what I should do. I have two fantastic, it's called Prepare for Anything. I should give one of those away. It's a beautiful book. It's big, like a binder size. And when you flip it open, you can like, it stays open to the different pages and it has illustrations and stuff. And I should give one of those away. I'll do that on the show tomorrow. I'm going to give one of those away because it'd be great for you to have one. And I'll also put the link to it in today's show notes. So you can find uh, the guy who he sent me two copies, really nice man. And so, so good at that. So I think the reason why people don't read books like that and they don't prepare is because they think it's going to take over their life because when they watch preppers on YouTube or see them anywhere, it seems like all that person does is prep. Well, if your business is selling books on prepping and prepping is your lifestyle, then yeah, that's pretty much all you're going to do. But for those of us who are regular Americans, you're just looking at trying to get that 30 days or 90 days worth of food for however many people are in your family. And then once you've done that, you're not constantly prepping other than to kind of rotate the food around, make sure that, you know, it does like four years after you first buy everything, you're not sitting there with the same stuff. You want to kind of rotate it out and eat it. Like if you're saving spaghetti, usually the spaghetti sauce does not last. If it's in the jar, it doesn't last more than a year. You have to check the sell by sometimes it's eight months ahead. And then, so you need to use that. So you need to rotate that out. Um, And it also depends on how you're storing it and what you've purchased. But again, you read the book, you get your 30 days together first, then you work on overtime, might take you six months or so getting your 90 days together. And then if you feel like going further than that, you go to six months. If you don't, you say, you know, 90 days is what I'm preparing. You pray over it, ask the Lord to bless it and keep it. And then go on about your business. It's not a lifetime effort. It's just something that you do like car maintenance. Once you get on a car maintenance schedule and you stick to it, you're not doing that all the time. You're just doing it when you need an oil change or when you need an annual maintenance or what have you. So in response to uh, this thread of tweets about comparing bank runs to um, runs on toilet paper, another guy tweets in, he says, last night, late last night, 2 a.m., and it's amazing on how every supermarket, farmer's markets, et cetera, men and women like them will work nonstop to replenish every shelf. Next to the medical staff across the world, people like them will be heroes to keep humanity fed. Thank them. And he's in the store, and they're stocking, and the stockers are smiling and looking at him. He's got them, like, live on a little video here. And um, he says, set the music to win beneath my wings. <laughs> he's romanticizing them because they're stocking the shelves. And um, 
so I just think it's, I think things have been blown out of proportion. I think that we are in the midst of watching something that this could be a precursor. Like a few years from now, we could have a virus come through that really is that one that one person catches. And then before you know it, we have, you know, millions of people who are dead. And so the, the lesson here is that we have to behave in certain ways. We have to remember that we're a society. It's not just me and my little family against the world. It's all of us living here together and our actions impact each other. And we just need to keep those things, be cognizant of them and keep them in our front view mirror. And what would God have us to do? Check on our elderly neighbors, ask them if they have enough food, offer to go to the store for them because they're the ones who are most at risk. Anybody can die from COVID-19. Anyone can have a severe upper respiratory reaction that progresses into pneumonia and need a ventilator or a breathing machine and still not make it through. That can happen to anybody. But for the most part, the comorbidities are pointing towards the elderly being the most susceptible to having a negative outcome. Behind them are people who are suffering from lung disease, heart disease, or obesity. Um, I watched one video where Dr. Oz said, the best thing you could do is start working out and start the trend of getting your weight going downward um, and increasing your cardiovascular health. So just in case you catch COVID, the, the fact that you're obese won't be the mitigating factor that prevents you from getting better. Um, so, you know, whatever we're going to call it, it's here. We don't know if it'll be here for this season or if it'll be a part of our flu season every single year. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about it is because it's a coronavirus, it's a part of that family of viruses that the common cold is in. And as we, the, the common cold mutates so much that we don't develop antibodies to it. That's why you can always catch the cold. You can catch it in the summer, you can catch it in the winter, and you can catch it over and over and over again. Well, COVID-19 might be that type of a virus where with the flu, you develop antibodies. With other illnesses, we develop herd immunity. So the more of us get it, the more of us develop a resistance to it, leaving a very small sliver of society that is uh, actually really negatively impacted by it. Everyone can get it and get sick, but you're not as bad off as you would the first time you get it, as you would be the first time you get it. Um, we don't yet know if you can develop herd immunity to COVID-19. And so that's a part of what makes this so frightening for people. And it's a part of the reason why we see people panicking. And um, the other part is that you never let a crisis go to waste. And if there's any way they can take this virus and use it as a bludgeon to try to prevent President Trump from riding victoriously into term two to finish draining the swamp, then that's what they're going to do. And uh, we, I, I'm, I'm not going to recap the debate on today's show. I actually... We got back so late last night, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it on the way home. We had so much moving to do, first moving out of the apartments and then into the vehicles and then driving home and then unpacking the vehicles, and I was so beat by then. I've only watched a few clips of the debate from last night. We weren't even on the road when it was on, so I didn't get to hear it. Uh, but I am going to go back and watch. It, it's an hour of my life. I'll never get back, but I'm doing it for y'all. And then I'll have some kind of recap on that tomorrow. Um, so... We're doing less eating out means we're cooking at home. We have kids who are supposed to be in school. They're at home, at least for the next three weeks. Uh, kids who are in college are home for the next two months. And then the summer, if they're interning somewhere, they'll be gone. If they're not, they're home for the next five months. I choose to see all of this as thank you, Lord, for this opportunity 
I give you glory and I'm so grateful and that's it. And I hope you choose to see it that way too. And so, uh, we're going to put a pin in it right there. (laughs) Just so glad I finally got to get back to the podcast chair and be back with you. Uh, please pray for me as, as, as I try to navigate what I'm doing over here and I'll be praying for you and continuing to pray for, um, just what is going on with the listeners and the people here who've been so fantastic. Um, and I think, yeah, let's, let's just try to temper our comments and everything about the coronavirus and our feelings. Yes, it's an unknown, but I see the Democrats taking this as a huge opportunity to try to ram through some stuff that would never go through otherwise and to take advantage of President Trump, um, not because he's not good at managing crises or anything like that. He's actually doing a fantastic job. But Democrats are masters at taking a situation and using it to benefit their political aims while Republicans are just trying to take care of people. Um, and so it's a flaw, but it's also a good flaw because you at least think, you know, when, when Republicans are looking at this stuff, they're trying to figure out how they can help people. And Democrats are just looking for power. They're just looking for ways that they can, something we never got a chance to do, we can do it now, now here's our chance, now we can do it. So let's be praying for wisdom and for discernment for, uh, for, for not just for President Trump, but his entire administration and the COVID-19 team that he's put together and um, people who have been placed in authority over us. We, we pray that they would bend a knee to the only person ever that they should bend a knee to, which is our Father in Heaven, that they would finally come to know him, that they would be brought out of the darkness into the light, and that they would come to know the truth. We pray all of that over these people in Jesus' name, and we pray for our safety, uh, that the Lord would continue to be good to us and shelter us and cover us with his wings and that his glory would be our rear guard in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold the line, my friends. Back with you tomorrow.